Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's Friday, February 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It's our first Friday episode of the new season in these new digs, and our Friday episodes throughout the year will feature guests both from the Athletic and from other parts of the fantasy baseball industry. To kick things off this week, we are discussing early draft toss-ups with our good friend Chris Meany. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. So if you can leave us a rating and review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. If you are listening and you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. This week marked the launch of our draft kit, so we have lots of articles, rankings, and pretty much everything you could want to get ready for the 2020 season. Uh, but we put this outline together, and, and I think the key is to remember that your early decisions in drafts and in auctions will matter. And before we started recording, Beller was just telling us a story about Tout Wars a couple of years ago, how an early decision with starting pitching actually made the difference between winning a title and not winning a title. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Derek. Not like I'm uh, harboring any uh, ill feelings about it still two years later, but uh, it was 2018, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, the clear one too. There was uh, industry-wide consensus that it doesn't matter too much. You can prefer one, you can prefer the other, but there's not really a wrong answer here. Well, I can say there was a wrong answer, and it was the one that I gave, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I, I that was when Kershaw had the back injury. I started tracking it uh, sometime early in August when Scherzer is just having this unbelievable year and Kershaw is dealing with the injury issues. Had I gone the other way, instead of finishing in, I think, fifth that year in my Top Wars League, I would have won my Top Wars League. So it seems like there's no wrong answer, especially at the top of these drafts, but quite often there is. I learned that the hard way. Now, our, our guest today, Chris Meany, is a familiar voice. You've heard him on a show with Michael Beller, Best on the Board. If you're listening to that show during football season, you hear him on Four Stacked Lines every week, our fantasy hockey show. If you read any of the fantasy hockey stuff on the site, it's either Chris or Eric Young who wrote it. Those two guys uh, generally have covered a ton of ground this season. The waiver wire article, uh, rest of season rankings, that's, uh, that's Chris Meany's turf. Uh, but you also hear him on a lot of other shows, including The Throwback with uh, Jake Seeley and Brad Ziegler. Uh, what's going on, Chris? Uh, are you excited for baseball season just to, to change it up a little bit? Of course, yeah. You know, football is over, although we're still doing throwback. But football is, yeah, I guess it never really stops. You guys know this. But it's nice to turn the page a little bit over to baseball and, and happy to join you guys for sure. And, Beller, that's tough news, man. Scherzer with the <laughs> back uh, this season. Does that make you, you know, when you're talking about Kershaw with the back that year that you draft him and then, you know, towards the the end of the season and into the postseason, Scherzer with the back injury it creeps up. I don't know if either of you guys have that in the back of your mind when you're splitting hairs with these studs off the top of the board. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Max Scherzer to me still feels like Max Scherzer. I, I guess I, you you are a little bit concerned about the fact that he had that, and now he's into his mid thirties. I think something we can all speak about with a little bit of expertise is being you know, real uh, sort of fall off the cliff athletic time of your year. Something tells me Max Scherzer is going to be able to uh, weather that a little bit better than uh, we regular folk. But uh, I think it's something you have to think about. I think it's why we're going to talk about one of these pitcher dilemmas and he's not involved. Yeah, let's start with that one. I mean, the top of the draft board, pitcher-wise, Garrett Cole versus Jacob deGrom is the debate. Uh, if you look at NFPC ADPs, you can filter it down to a more recent window, or you can look at all of draft season. If you look at drafts since January 15th, Garrett Cole has an ADP of 5.5, Jacob deGrom 8.5. They're both clear first-rounders, even first half of the first round. 
in terms of their average draft position in a 15-team format. What do you think, Chris? I mean, as you look at Cole versus DeGrom, do you go with the guy that was racking up a ton of strikeouts last year in Houston, going to another great team, but is dealing with the more hitter-friendly environment? Or do you look at DeGrom as the guy that continues to just tear it up year over year, and if the wins count were higher, those roto values returned would be a lot higher over the last few seasons? Yeah, they can just give him some run support in New York for sure. Unbelievable to think about, I mean, especially two years ago, the fact that he just never got any run support and he was just giving up one run, two runs, like every single start. It was unbelievable. I think DeGrom is probably the, the safer pitcher in terms of ratios, what you're talking about. The ERA is, is most likely going to be better. Back-to-back sub two walks per nine over his last couple of years. The hard hit, hard hit rate has been phenomenal. Doesn't really give up too much there. And you look at Cole, I mean, you just have to ask yourself, would you trade in slightly worse ERA for 80 more strikeouts? I mean, because he is going to New York. You mentioned the ballpark. And that's the one knock I guess I have on Cole over the past couple of years. You know, since 2017, 79 home runs allowed. The ninth most in baseball, a 43% fly ball rate in 2018, a 40% rate last season at 29 bombs allowed last year. But league high swinging strike percentage, whiff rate, strikeout percentage at 40%, second lowest contact rate in all of baseball. For me, I'm going to take Cole and the strikeouts. And of course, he's going to have the run support in New York with the Yankees as opposed to the Mets. Yeah, Charlie Morton also dispelled some of what Trevor Bauer said about uh, guys using maybe some foreign substances to get that extra spin rate. Uh, In Houston, Charlie Morton's gone on to Tampa and had uh, similar, if not more, success than he did uh, with the Astros. So I don't think there's any concern with Garrett Cole there. I do lean in DeGrom's direction on this one. I agree with what you said, Meany. Safer floor, uh, safer rates. And I think that's really uh, what gets DeGrom over the top for me is the rates. Uh, We can find strikeouts. This is a swing and miss era, an era that doesn't really care about striking out. It's hard to turn away from Garrett Cole's eye-popping strikeout numbers, not that DeGrom's a slouch in that respect in his own right, Uh, but we can find strikeouts later. There are plenty of guys who we can target for strikeout upside in the later rounds. There are not many guys who we can target for the rate upside that Jacob DeGrom brings to the table, and not only brings to the table, but I think, guys, something that we should be expecting from him at this stage of his career. So because of that, I do lean slightly in DeGrom's direction. If I have that decision to make myself I'm going to be going Jacob DeGrom, and I'm not going to have to take too many seconds off my draft timer to make that decision. Yeah, I I think my cop-out answer as the tiebreaker is that uh, I do have Cole ranked ahead of DeGrom. I think the key difference is the wins column. I think as much as we can predict it, it's that I trust the Yankees' bullpen more than I trust the Mets' bullpen. I trust the Yankees to provide run support a little more than I trust the Mets to provide run support. And I say that knowing that it could go totally sideways. There's very little that could... stop Garrett Cole from winning 11 games instead of 20 and and having Jacob deGrom top 20 like that could easily happen and that would be the kind of thing that swings the value in favor of one versus the other so I'm on Cole for now I like that extra strikeout bump but that team context to me even with the downgrade in home park is still more favorable for for Cole and I think that's where where I'm going if I'm going to break the seal and take the first pitcher off the board but I think where they go I'd almost rather be positioned a few picks later to get DeGrom and then to get a better hitter in round two to start my roster if we're talking about a snake draft scenario. So Cole is the choice, but I'm perfectly happy with DeGrom if I have a slightly later pick in the first round. Let's talk about the very top of the board because a similar debate is available at the top. 
Ronald Acuna Jr., Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, in some order, those are the first three players off the board in just about every draft. Every now and then you might see uh, Mookie Betts or someone kind of pop up in there. I, th- I saw Trout go fourth in a in a draft about a week or so ago, and that was kind of jarring, even though it wasn't that much of a, a free fall. It's just a guy we're so used to seeing at the very top. To see him outside the top three was a surprise. Uh, Bella, let's start with you. If you get the first pick in your draft, who are you going to use it on? You know, I feel like I, I'm crazy that I have to say this in the way that I have to say it, but I think people are overthinking things by not taking Trout first. And I understand all the great things that Ronald Acuna and Christian Yellich should be expected to do this season. I know that stolen bases are uh, an incredibly valuable currency in fantasy baseball, the way that the real-life game is played today and that Mike Trout uh, might not be stealing 20-plus uh, bases anytime again soon, although you only have to go back to 2018 to find 24 steals. He does have a little bit more of an injury history as well, but uh, this guy's going to go down as not only the best player of our lifetimes, you guys, but quite possibly as the best player ever to play the game, and he is 28 years old. I mean, to me, I know what Acuna and Yelich can and should do, but... I am still not going away from Mike Trout with everything that this guy has done over his career and the fact that he's still right in the heart of his physical prime. Maybe if this were three years from now, I could see the case uh, a little bit more clearly for Acuna over Mike Trout. But we know every single year, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what Mike Trout is. This is still the very best player, hands down, in Major League Baseball, maybe not quite the fantasy ceiling that Yelich or Acuna have because of what those guys do on the base pads, but I'm still taking Mike Trout 10 times out of 10. I think it's really simple, actually. And I think it's important for us to quickly point out before Meany shares his answer that he is an Angels fan, uh, so <laughs> that, that may shape the response <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but Chris, if you get that first overall pick, are you with Beller? Do you take Trout for just the ridiculously high floor, even if he doesn't steal as many bases at this stage of his career as Acuna and Yelich are likely to steal? Yeah, I thought I was going to come on here and have to really make a case for the best player maybe of all time that Beller just said. You know, as an Angels guy, fine. I mean, that's more reason just to believe me because I've seen 99% of this guy's games uh, as an Angel, and I agree with a lot of what Beller said. I think we, honestly, as scary as it is, we definitely haven't seen probably the best of Acuna. If you're playing in a dynasty league, it's a whole other story. I mean, he's only 22 years old. Flirting with 40-40 is unbelievable. But for Trout... You know what Beller said, I mean, 28 years old, I feel like he just entered his prime last season. I mean, career-high home runs, 45, ISO 353, slugging, line drive rate, fly ball percentage, led the league in WRC+, plus, fourth in barrels per plate appearance. Like, we're just seeing the power years of Mike Trout. I know he hit 40-plus home runs in 2015, but we're really seeing it over the past couple of years. And, I, I, you know, 11 stolen bases last season, but he averaged 25 per year over the past three seasons. I don't think that he's just going to steal 11 to 15. I think he could get back up to that 20 stolen base mark. There was a game last season where they played Seattle, the Angels. It was a 0-0 game in the fifth inning and Trout let off. And Seattle walked him. Four straight balls on purpose (laughs) because Brian Goodwin was hitting behind Trout. Now we're going to have Rendon hitting behind Trout. There's a little bit of protection there. Just splitting hairs here with with all three of these guys. Yelich has actually been the best of the three since the All-Star break in 2018. An unbelievable slash line, but the knee and back injury kind of creeped up a little bit. For me, it's Trout. It's just he's the safest player in baseball. We've done this before. Derek. In 2016, when Harper had the MVP season, we debated a little bit. We debated a bit with Kershaw 
Altuve last year with Mookie Betts. I think that there's a stronger case this season for other players, but Trout is the most consistent player in baseball. He's come top 10 in every single season but one. Give me Trout at one every time. If he falls to four, I'm just I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, if I if I drew the fourth pick, it was a little bit of bad luck because if I don't get a top three pick, I'd rather be near the back of the first round. So KDS-wise, four is not at the bottom, but near the bottom of my list. That would be a gift. Really, to get any of those top three players at four would be a, a pretty nice surprise. There's no tie to break here since you guys are both on Trout, but I do have Christian Yelich atop my board this year. The main reason for it, if you look and you include all of 2018. I know a lot of the damage Yelich did came in that second half. If you combine 2018 and 2019, there is only one category in which Mike Trout has outproduced Christian Yelich. It's home runs, 84 to 80. Yelich has scored seven more runs. He's driven in 24 more runs, and he's stolen 17 more bases during that span. They both strike out about 20% of the time. And amazingly, Yelich has had a 25-point gap in batting average on Trout during that time. So maybe you can't rely on that, but that steals column and the fact that we've got about a two-year snapshot now where Yelich has been at that ridiculous MVP level, that's enough to put him over the top. I'm perfectly happy to get Trout if I'm sitting there at two or three. Uh, I think there's still a ton to like there, and I think you guys make great points, especially about the Angels lineup just being better. Uh, Anthony Rendon is obviously a nice boost for the Angels. Speaking of Anthony Rendon, nice nice work on that, just setting that up for Good me. Good work. Gotta love that. Anthony Rendon is finally being valued in fantasy drafts the way that he should be. Last year, his ADP, I think, was in the 40s. It was Anthony Rendon versus Vlad Jr. That was a toss-up. <laughs> and as much as I liked <laughs> Vlad Jr. last year, I looked at Anthony Rendon and just said, there's no way I'm passing on the guy that statistically is doing everything I hope Vlad Jr. will do already and just taking the guy that could do it. Like, that that didn't make sense to me in a redraft league, as great as Vlad Jr. probably will become. Now we have Rendon versus Rafael Devers, who really put it all together last year. Had a little bit of a slow start in the power category, but the power came around for the final four months as well. Chris, we'll start with you. If you're choosing an elite third baseman, this is going to be kind of a second-round pick in most scenarios. You're looking at Rendon and Devers. Which route do you go? Yeah, this one's a little bit tougher for me. Um, you know, I think Rendon is is the better hitter, and I think it's been it's been pretty proven over the past couple of years. I mean, you look at 80 walks, 86 strikeouts. I mean, that's just a terrific guy. A career high season for him, really. I mean, home runs, runs, RBI, ISO, average, OBP, everything across the board for him. And so I think I'd lean that way in Rendon, but the ballpark switch, it's. It's a little concerning. Devers obviously playing in, in a better better ballpark, a better division, really. Probably the best for a hitter in the AL East. You're going to make trips to Toronto and Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards. It's it's pretty good. And then you make Fenway your home. But I wonder if, you know, how much Mookie Betts atop that order is, again, splitting hairs with some of these studs. But having Mookie, Mookie gone from that lineup, fewer runs, RBIs, maybe fewer plate appearances, potentially. I don't know if I'm looking into that too much, but I do like some things that Devers did from really his first full, uh, I suppose, season in the bigs. I mean, he cut down that strikeout rate 25 to 17%. Really came on a couple years ago in the second half of the season. I thought he had a terrific postseason run as well when the Red Sox won the World Series. But I look at the ground ball rate, it's a little high, 46% for his career. I think I just lean Devers. I feel like maybe the ceiling is with Devers. 
again, I'm just back and forth with these two. I, I suppose I'll take Raphael Devers because I think that he has a higher ceiling, but I think the safer play is probably Rendon. All right, DVR, we're going to have to get you into this one because I'm going yeah. Anthony. Am I the Angels fan on this one, actually? So I'm, <laughs> backing be, up yeah. Trout. I'm backing up Trout with Anthony Rendon here, and it's got a lot to do with the track record uh, that Mini speaks to. Again, when, when we're comparing guys like this, um, and when I say guys like this, I mean elite-level guys, early-round picks. Um, I, well, the thing that I want to lean on is can we say with any sort of certainty which guy is just the better hitter because you know these guys have some these guys have a lot of power upside and Rafael Devers is 23 years old and maybe there's still some growth to be had they're just natural growth let alone you know mental skills growth that I think we should expect to see from him that natural growth that mental skills growth might not really be there for Anthony Rendon this is a guy who's been in the league for for quite a while now and he maybe is already maxed out there but Underlying skills that we've seen from Anthony Rendon, uh, and and especially with uh, what you said, Meany, with the walks versus strikeouts, suggest to me that he's just purely the better hitter. And some of these things are unknown. Exactly how many home runs he's there going to hit. Neither guy's going to really blow you away in steals. What's the uh, ballpark effect going to be on Rendon going from Washington to L.A.? What's the lineup effect going to be for Devers losing Mookie Betts for Rendon adding Mike Trout. You know we can we can suppose things and we can we can read into them as best as we possibly can. But a lot of those are unknown. What we know is that Anthony Rendon, from just an X's and O's hitting standpoint, is among the very best in the league, and he's proved that now over the better part of a decade. Uh, going back to his very first year with the Nationals, injuries have not been a concern for him for a couple of years running. So I think we can say those early career injury questions are really no longer. There, Obviously, every player has a baseline injury risk that you can't take away, but I just think Anthony Rendon is the better hitter. I think it's likely he's the better hitter, and more importantly, he's proved he's an elite hitter. Rafael Devers certainly has that possibility, but it is not a proven capability just yet. So because of that, I lean in Rendon's direction. I will be totally fine taking Rafael Devers if Rendon goes before me. Yeah, I think as my last set of rankings went up in the draft kit, it was before the Mookie Betts trade happened. That does have a negative impact on a few Red Sox hitters. I like Devers and J.D. Martinez sort of uh, atop that list. And uh, Rendon's move to the AL, I mean, the way he's actually stayed healthy for the better part of the last four seasons in the National League really bodes well for his chances of pushing that plate appearance total up a little bit. Lineups turn over more often in the AL, of course, with the DH in place of the pitcher spot. So you've got a little more volume upside now. I think there is always a question when a player changes leagues for the first time, has to adjust to a lot of parks that he hasn't spent a lot of time in, just adjust to a new team, new home park, all those things. That matters. But Rendon is just one of those guys. He seems unflappable. He's had a 15% K rate, actually a K rate under 15% each of the last three seasons. It's ridiculous. Draws walks, has that power. Even in like a normal ball sort of year, he's an easy threat to hit 300 with 20 to 25 home runs, 80, 90 runs scored, and 80 or 90 RBI. That's, that's like a floor for a guy that could actually return first-round value yet again. So I'm on Rendon, but they're next to each other in my rankings, and one thing that might pull them further apart is that Mookie Betts trade. Uh, let's stay up in the top area of the board, late second round, early third round picks in the outfield. Starling Marte, a new Arizona Diamondback against Austin Meadows, who had a, a breakout season during his first full campaign with the Tampa Bay Rays in 2019. 
Uh, Beller, as you look at those two guys, do you go for the upside, the guy that seemed to reach new levels a year ago in Meadows, or do you kind of take the safer option of the two with Starling Marte? I'm going to be, uh, I think, uh, double boring here, at least in terms of the way I go, but hopefully not boring in the analysis. Uh, leaning on the track record yet again, uh, going Starling Marte here, and uh, throwing in the caveat, uh, which people maybe don't always like hearing, is that you're going to have a couple of picks before you're grabbing Marte or Meadows. There's a good chance that those first few picks make this decision for you. And if you are a team that is more in need of steals, you lean toward Marte. If you're a team that's more in need of power, you lean in the direction of Meadows. The reason why I lean toward Marte in a vacuum is A, the track record, and B, it's hard to read into Meadows' minor league numbers, but I am wary of guys who showed first-time power in the 2019 juice ball environment. Now, uh, that was Austin Meadows' first actual opportunity to play a full major league season. That's all he could do. You can't actually ask more of him, why didn't you show the power in 2017? Well, he wasn't actually there. But you look back at the minor leagues, and there just wasn't a whole, there wasn't a huge power production. The power profile might have been there. The power production wasn't completely there. So it does worry me just a little bit if MLB changes the ball at all, what that means for guys who showed first-time newfound power in 2019. Again, just like I said with Rendon, like I said with Trout, like I've said with DeGrom, I'm leaning on the same thread of analysis here. We know exactly what Starling Marte is going to be, and there's something to be said for a guy not only joining up with a better team in Arizona than what he's played with in Pittsburgh the last few years, uh, but just that you know, that rejuvenation, you know, right? Starling Marte has had to slog his way through a couple of ugly seasons in Pittsburgh. He had the suspension uh, around his neck as well. Now he puts that all in the rearview mirror. He goes to an Arizona team that should be excited about the 2020 season. All that adds up to what is possibly the easiest decision for me of the ones that we've talked about. I really do like Starling Marte here quite a bit. Jeez, boring Beller. With the same guy. I agree, actually, 100%. This one's pretty easy for me, too. I'm not going to spend everything that you just said, Beller, I think is spot on. Like, I'm not I'm not going to spend the, the early pick on one season from Meadows. I mean, that power really just came out of nowhere. I know he's pretty young, and he hit well in the minors, but it's it was like six, seven home runs every single year. I know with the Rays, the AAA in 2018, he had 10 bombs, but, I mean, there were some campaigns where he just had five and four and six so I'm a little wary of the home run power as well. And, you know, 17 of those 33 bombs came in the last 50 games. Uh, again, it's just a, a little bit of a red flag for me. So give me Marte, the switch of, of teams. I think Arizona's got a lot going on. He's going to hit the top of that order, a better, better environment for him. He's definitely going to steal some bags. You can count on 20-plus stolen bases. And I think, you know, you made a really good point there, Beller, too. If Depending on the first how the first couple rounds of your draft go, you know, if you need some speed, he's just sitting there and staring at you as a guy who is a career 287 hitter and will probably combine for 50 stolen bases and home runs. He can still hit home runs despite the high ground ball rate. He can flirt with 20 bombs for you. So I'm with I'm going Marte as well. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, too, about Starling Marte is he's got this really high batting average floor. He's hitting 286 combined over the last two seasons, sub 20 percent K rate. Doesn't walk much, but he does get hit by a lot of pitches, so that gets him on base a little more than you'd expect for a guy that's walked 5% of the time during that span. How about 58 steals in the last yeah. two seasons over his 277 games? 
Only a handful of players have more bags than that, and a lot of players who can run that much, they're risky because they're more like fourth outfielders. We know Starling Marte is going to be a fixture top the order, as you said, so no tie to break here. I, I think the thing about Austin Meadows that's a little bit of a concern, too, is I'm not sure the stolen bases are actually going to be there. He was not efficient in that regard, even though he ran some last year. If he keeps developing power, you just wonder if they're going to say, you know what, you're not actually that good at stealing bases. Let's just have you... Uh, be kind of a middle-of-the-order sort of bat for us. Uh, but I, at this point, I do like Starling Marte a bit better, just as you guys do. Let's move over to first base, which is kind of an interesting position because I think you can wait through the early rounds, still find someone capable of returning early-round value. And if you wait too long, then you're kind of chasing guys that might fall into the large side of the platoon or possibly lose their jobs entirely. Uh, two players that I definitely like, Anthony Rizzo and Matt Olson, both seem like pretty good values at their respective ADPs, uh, with them sitting in the 68 range. Olsen, I think, is at 61 or so over the last few weeks in NFBC drafts. Uh, Meany, we'll start with you on this one. Rizzo versus Olsen, who are you taking if you're getting a power-hitting first baseman in that round 4 or 5 range? You're, you're dead on about the first base position. There's so much to like. Like a lot of these guys, I wish I could just draft like six or seven first basemen, but you know, at the Athletic this weekend, we'll have my guys there at the article that I wrote up. Just guys that I've drafted a lot of, guys that I want. And Olsen's, Olsen's there. I, I just, there's so much to like about his power since the start of 2017. 89 home runs. That's 26th in, in the majors, and he's done it in 1,400 plate appearances. Look at a guy like Arenado, who I know is a more complete player. 116 home runs and just over 2,000 plate appearances. And over that time span... Hard hit rate for Olsen, 48% ranks fourth. Fly ball percentage is top 10 in all of baseball. You know, last year he was limited to 547 plate appearances, took the the pitch off the hand. I believe it was opening week, the third game, and he still managed to hit 36 home runs. So even with questions about his power, with the hand injury, you wonder how he was going to respond. And, you know, he still had a, a magnificent season. And the fact that almost 50% of his home runs have come at home in that spacious ballpark. He still is able to do it there, which is a huge plus for me. And Rizzo, I just, he's a great hitter. Again, much like DeGrom and Cole, when we had that debate, you ask yourself, what do you, what do you trade in a little bit of average for some more power? I think I'm willing to do that with Matt Olson. I mean, the fly ball rate for Rizzo has declined in each of his last five seasons, 43, 41, 39, 37, 31. I think we've seen the best of Rizzo and there's nothing wrong with 30 home runs, 90 RBIs, 90 runs, 20, 290 average I think that's fine but for me I feel like Olsen has a bit more of a, a higher ceiling I think he can get to that 40 home run range I love Oakland's lineup I think you know RBIs are definitely hard to predict but I think he gets in that 100 range as well so I'll trade in the average for for more power I think he's an elite hitter how about you, Cub fan, Michael Beller? <laughs> hey, well, first of all, I got to say, did either of you guys watch uh, Mad Men by any chance? Either of you guys no. Mad Men fans? It's it's on my list of shows that I'm going to binge on someday pretty soon. They film here in Toronto. I got to get on that. I think. Oh man! Well, I've I've seen the series all the way from start to finish like eight times. I'm a Mad Men freak, and there's Ooh. I didn't even put two and two together here that there are characters who you know, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, but spend a lot of time together in like the latter half of the series. One whose last name is Rizzo, and one whose last name is Olson. I was kind of chuckling to myself as you were saying Rizzo versus Olson. It was the first thing I thought about. But anyways, <laughs> back to what we're actually talking about here. Mini, I think you hit the nail uh, exactly on the head. Uh, so I don't have a, a ton to add there in Rizzo versus Olson. Uh, obviously, Matt Olson has much more power potential, has some room to grow. Anthony Rizzo. 
30 years old. Uh, he probably is who he is at this stage, uh, is who he is, is still an excellent player. And I agree with what you said off the top, DVR, that I am thrilled to get either of these guys. Uh, when I was looking through and trying to find some good debates, uh, I wasn't surprised to see these two guys next to one another. I was surprised to see them next to one another in the mid-60s because I think both of these guys are more valuable than that. Uh, Rizzo, uh, the thing that shies me away from Rizzo in terms of putting him ahead of Olsen is that is 30 home runs really even in the cards for him? I mean, he, he's, he hasn't done it for two years in a row. You know that that June, July, wherever it's going to be, back injury where he's going to spend two or three weeks on the IL is coming at some point, and you don't like a guy into his 30s who has a history of back injuries. Having said all that, everything else with this guy is just so consistent. Uh, one of the most disciplined hitters at the plate. Not just a guy who's going to take, take, take. A guy who is selectively aggressive in some of the best, most lucrative ways. You love seeing that from any hitter. We've seen a lot of guys. Freddie Freeman is one who jumps to mind who have unlocked their full potential by being super aggressive in the zone and spitting on anything out of the zone. Anthony Rizzo is a guy who's done that really going back to his, the beginning of his career with the Cubs. I do think there are some lineup issues uh, in Chicago, and we could eventually see Anthony Rizzo climb to the very top of this lineup for a longer period than we ever saw under Joe Madden, depending on how they figure out what happens with the leadoff spot. But Anthony Rizzo is just for sure. He's going to give you 90 runs. He's going to push or surpass 100 RBI. He's going to get into the high 20s, maybe hit the 30 home run threshold. The OBP is going to be massive for Anthony Rizzo because it is every single year. I'm going ever so slightly with Anthony Rizzo over Matt Olson here. Oh, see, the way you started, I thought you were yeah. on Team Olson there. <laughs> but um, you guys are split, which is interesting. I, I've got Rizzo ahead of Olson in my ranks by about. 15 or 20 spots and hitters are only ranked against other hitters the projections also have Anthony Rizzo as a top 30 hitter I think they've got him 27 that's the ATC projections run through the Fangraphs auction calculator uh, there's about a four dollar difference in value between them and I think Olsen's kind of a sneaky fun bet to possibly win the home run crown like if you can mm -hmm. give me some good odds on on Olsen to hit more home runs than anybody else in the league I'd, I'd probably take my chances with that but Rizzo is more like a Anthony Rendon profile, a metronome sort of player, as our buddy Eno Saris might say, where you just you kind of know what you're going to get every single year. And even though there's some maybe modest concerns about the depth in the Cubs lineup, Rizzo's not going to hurt you in any category. I know he's not going to steal bases, but he seems like a guy who's at least a full round undervalued, if not two rounds undervalued in early drafts. Part of that in the NFBC is people pushing up starting pitching and, and being more aggressive with some younger players that have uh, more of that U word that I don't like to say more upside uh, for those who are not familiar with my, my recent turn against that word, but I'm going Anthony Rizzo to break the tie here, even though I do like both players involved. You know, Derek, I just had to ask you about Olsen. Like what, a lot of people I feel like are reaching on him a bit, like what point, and that's my one issue is Olsen in the third. I've seen that. And that to me is, it's a bit much. So like at one point, do you just, like where would you feel comfortable taking Olsen? I think he's fine in in a 15-team league. I'm probably looking at him like late round four, early round five. If someone wants to jump him up higher than that, okay, that's fine. You've got Matt Olsen, I don't. I mean, I think there are other yeah. players like him in the pool. And again, you have to hit that position before that, that tier runs out if you want to have a shot at 35 to 40 home runs from your first baseman. Uh, but I, I don't think there's a whole lot there for, for batting average upside beyond what we saw in 20 or 2019. I mean, 267, that's probably about as good as it gets 
with his approach. It's fly ball happy. It's pull happy. Um, again, I feel like I'm, I'm trashing a player I like, but I, I like Rizzo That's more. Fair. I just think the floor uh, is, is a little more established across the board, and I, I like having that categorical balance uh, when I have the opportunity to choose it. Let's move on to a starting pitcher toss-up. Luis Castillo, who, under the tutelage of Derek Johnson and with the Reds' new pitching philosophy uh, implemented last year, just got to new levels, up against Patrick Corbin. Beller, you can go first in this one. I think there's this sort of lingering concern with Corbin and his slider-heavy approach that the wheels could kind of fall off quickly on him, even though it went very well for him in his first season in D.C., yeah, you know, I was uh, an aggressive uh, Patrick Corbin fader last year, partially because of the uh, of the heavy slider usage, but it was even more because of the lack of a pitch in his arsenal, uh, really no changeup, and he used it a little bit last year, but I am always wary of a lefty who doesn't have a changeup that can keep right-handed hitters honest, obviously, just uh, the natural breakdown of things, left-handed pitchers are going to be without the platoon advantage more often than not, so I like a lefty to have a changeup that they can go to, even if it's just a show pitch, just to keep right he's honest obviously didn't work out so well for me last year in aggressively fading Patrick Corbin and having him in zero leagues uh, I'm gonna lean with Corbin in this one I think after two years in a row uh, that we should take at face value what we've seen from him he has no real injury concerns he's been uh, a 200 inning pitcher now uh, a couple of years in a row 189 innings before that so I think we can safely say uh, that he's over uh, the injuries that uh, ha- have previously cost him in his career a little bit older, but it's not like Luis Castillo is a spring chicken, right? I mean, I would be getting a little bit more excited about Luis Castillo's put-it-all-together season that he had last year if he were 25, but we're not talking about a guy like that. We're talking about a guy who is starting to get into the uh, early part of his late 20s, and so I don't think that there's necessarily going to be that much more room for statistical growth for Luis Castillo this season. Uh, this is a, a an area of the uh, pitching position that I'm looking to hit hard, so I bet I'll be seeing these two guys on a number of my teams. If I do have the decision, though, just because of the fact that we've now seen it from Corbin two years in a row, largely the same arsenal, I think we can go ahead, trust what we've seen, believe in this Washington team even after losing Anthony Rendon, and ride with Patrick Corbin here. Yeah, Link Castillo, I, I think, you know, there's there's no room to grow because some of his numbers are just absolutely off the charts. I mean, 65 contact percentage, league best, swinging strike percentage, 16, fourth best behind Cole, Scherzer, Verlander, second in whiff rate behind Cole as well. Elite changeup, he used 35%, 34% of the time last season compared to 26% of the time in 2018. A ground ball rate that's 55%, that was his mark last year, 52% for last year, and that's why he had a 3.15 ERA at home in Cincinnati in that ballpark. In 125 innings compared to 3.88 on the road over 65 innings. So I'm fine with either of these pitchers. I think they're both elite, really, in terms of just top 10 potential. You know, they're not getting drafted as top 10 guys, but they have top 10 swinging strike percentages. They, you know, I suppose the home runs are really not there. You know, talk about the ground ball rate. It's not as good for Corbin as it is for Castillo. But I'm fine with either of these guys. You know, doing some DFS stuff over the past couple of years with the Quant Edge, I feel like Corbin had those blow-up games more than Castillo did, whether it's just like a team that just smashes lefties where he got in trouble with the long ball or the secondary pitches that Beller talked about. But for me, I think if I'm choosing between one of the two, it is Castillo. And it's just a lot of that is that just the changeup that he used a little bit more and, and that ground ball rate, I think, is, is the deciding factor for me. Yeah, these two guys, their ADPs are at 44 and 46. They're at the 3-4 turn of a 15-team league. They are probably the first pitcher taken for teams at the end who go hitter-hitter. 
I'm comfortable with either one of them as my ace. If I get the choice, it is Castillo. I think the velocity, too, it's a pretty big difference in fastball velocity between these two guys. That makes me feel just a little bit better about Castillo. I like that he has a good three-pitch mix. His changeup is arguably the best changeup in baseball. Yeah. It's one of the nastiest pitches in the game right now. Um, it's, it's you know in terms of its value, Corbin's slider is is not like far off from that. But I just like the fact that you have that premium velocity to fall back on. You can lose a little bit and still have more velocity than Corbin does, and you have the third pitch. Uh, he does fit the ballpark well, having that that ground ball lean. So I'm going to break the tie and stay stay Castillo here as well. Uh, definitely both over Lucas Giolito for me, for what it's worth. Yes. Uh, Giolito is the next pitcher up in ADP. Uh, we got a young speed question. We're going to go cross position for our last toss-up of the day because stolen bases are something that people are just worried about in, in ways that I don't think we've ever seen before, guys. It's kind of a, a strange thing. We're seeing some players in the first couple of rounds get pushed up higher than they ordinarily would be because they have that ability to at least get to 15 or 20 steals. In some cases, guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Adalberto Mondesi are popping up as the late first-round picks, and, and Mondesi is probably more of like a second or third in most drafts, but I saw him go late first in a draft back during the fall. Victor Robles versus Bo Bichette. Is a, to me, it's fascinating. I put this one on the outline because I thought, you want upside. But again, there's that word people are... are again, I, I, I don't want to say the word upside as much as we all do in the industry, but you can see both these guys getting better. That's very clear. I think upside's appropriate here. In the case of Victor Robles, it's that he could draw more walks and potentially work his way up in the batting order for the Nationals, which would lead to more runs scored. Obviously, if he's moving up in the order, he's producing at a higher clip, so the batting average is up as well. Uh, so it's really categorical juice almost across the board. With Bo Bichette, you know, we saw a really interesting start to his career last season. Had he not been hurt, he would have been called up even sooner. So we'd have a larger sample to work with. Great hit tool. Definitely has legitimate speed. Projections have him as a 2020 player. I mean, Steamer's got Bo Bichette at 22 homers, 24 steals, and a 275 average. So if you're looking for that power-speed combo... After the first four rounds, and you're looking at Robles versus Bichette, who are you going to go with, Chris? I'm going to go with Bichette. I just think he's a better hitter. Um, and, you know, the speed, we really didn't see the speed last season, only four stolen bases, because, you know, you alluded to the start that he had. I mean, it seemed like a home run or a double every single hot bat that he had with the Blue Jays when he when he was called up. But he definitely has the speed, 47 stolen bases across AA and AAA in 2018 and 19, had the 32 stolen bases in 2018, AA ball. I think he's a better hitter. I think he's got more power. I think he's in a better park. I already talked about the division, the AL East. You know, Robles is – I just don't think he's there yet. If you told me that, yeah, he would hit near the top of the lineup, then I'd feel a little bit better about him. But I feel like I'm just drafting him alone on the speed. And I, I, th- I feel like I'm spending that high pick on speed alone. So I, I don't think he's going to have the average. I don't think he's going to have the power. I don't think he's going to have the run. So uh, I'm going to go Boba Shett here. Yeah, and he's already there, right? I mean, he's already at the top of the order for Toronto. Uh, yeah. It's like uh, it's like trading Mookie Betts for a package of prospects and hoping one of them eventually turns into Mookie Betts, taking Victor <laughs> Robles over Bo Bichette and hoping he Shots ends fired. up in the same spot as uh, Washington's lineup that Bo Bichette already is in Toronto. Agree with you. Just think Bichette's the better hitter. Uh, and this you know brings us uh, a full circle to something we were talking about earlier with Anthony uh, Rendon versus Rafael Devers. Uh, it, when, it, when it is as close as I do believe this is, it's not like I think that this is just uh, a uh, Bo Bichette walkover, that I'm going to lean toward the guy who I think is just does the thing 
better, right? He is the better hitter in my estimation, Bo Bichette. I think if you go back over their respective minor league careers, uh, that Bo Bichette just has a, a, a better hit tool and he has shown it more consistently. Uh, obviously, Robles got a full major league year under his belt where he stole near, nearly 30 bases, but I think Bichette's the better hitter. And you got to be able to hit, get on base to actually do what we're talking about here and steal bases. So I, I want to lean toward the guy who does that better. I think Bichette's going to give himself more opportunity because of being a better hitter, because of where he stands in this Toronto lineup. I expect it's going to be totally free reign for these young guys in Toronto to do what they do. Bichette, Biggio, Gurriel, Vlad Guerrero, all the uh, all the sons of former big leaguers, right? I mean, these guys <laughs> are going to be carrying the heart of this Toronto team. So I don't think we're going to see any sort of leash on Bo Bichette whatsoever. And I'm excited about seeing this guy up in the majors for a full season. I think that that 2020 projection is sound and is something we should be excited about. I think we could see 25-25, and if things break completely right for him, pushing 30-30, not ready to say that about Robles just yet. So I'll go Bo Bichette in this one as well. Now, it's interesting. Robles has a, a 17-homer, 27-steal projection from Steamer, 262 average, so you're giving up something there. Uh, I think people might be making too much of the average exit velocity for Victor Robles. Even if you take the bunts out, it's still a lower-range average exit velocity. But he's young. He just turned 22 back in May, so he's 23 uh, eventually going into this season. You, you do have the Bichette still developing more power ceiling. Like That's that's the thing that I think is, is more convincing. You look at Bo Bichette, and you see a guy that probably could be a 30-home run guy in the big leagues. Robles, to me, is in the mold, rotisserie-wise, of Starling Marte, where his best seasons are probably going to be in that low 20s range. The question is whether he gets to 40 steals or not, and whether he does actually make that move up in the order. I've got Robles ranked a little higher. I think that extra experience actually helps. I think as great as Bichette was, we may see some adjustments here. Big league pitchers kind of figured him out a little bit, not in terms of results, but in some of the underlying numbers. Only a 6.6% walk rate and a 23.6% K percentage last season from Bo Bichette. It's splitting hairs. These are both exciting players. These are both guys that could be up in the first round this time next year. Like, Do you think they both have that type of potential given their respective tools? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I I, th- I think so. I, I'm not really sold on the power yet. I know the 17 home runs, and I know the projections from Steamer, ATC, have them right on there. I, I, just, I guess I'm just really not sold. I think he needs to develop a little bit more. I feel like Bo Bichette, I, I would definitely, you know, if a betting man pick between one of the two who would have a higher ADP next season, it's Bichette. And if it's, I, I agree, they're both exciting young players. There's lots of room to grow, but I think that Bichette has a higher ceiling. I think that in dynasty leagues, it's, it's not even a question for me. I think, you know, definitely more power. I feel like he can get Maybe not 30-30 this season. I know Beller was a little bit, you know, he was saying that kind mm-hmm. of tongue-in-cheek. But I think it's definitely more of a possibility um, going forward. The one thing I will say about Bichette is he does swing a lot uh, at a lot of pitches. And the strikeout rate could actually be a lot higher than what some of the projections say at 20%. Of course, it was a very small sample size, only 212 plate appearances, 24% of the time he struck out. I think it could get up to 25-26. I do think he has a little bit of, you know, just – cool it and he's gets very aggressive at the plate honestly you see that in him but i feel like overall uh, i think he's just a you know i think he's gonna be a better hitter we're incredibly early in these guys careers i'm willing to bet that we're never talking about either of them as a realistic first round pick in a redraft league 
Really, I just don't. I just don't think that that uh, that that full on ceiling is always going to be. I mean, you got to consider the sorts of guys that they're going to have to climb past. I mean, the other guy, their contemporaries, age wise. I mean, you already have. Uh, I don't know. Maybe almost feels like half of those spots are already spoken for. So I think we're going to have to see. And I guess this is probably true for a lot of players. But I think these guys more than others are going to need to hit 99th percentile uh, career arcs for them to really get up there. Whereas someone like Ronald Acuna, uh, I mean, there's still there's still more ahead of him potentially. There's still uh, maybe another level of pure season over season production. There's maybe still uh, more ceiling that this guy can hit. And I'm not sure that uh, we're ever going to be talking about guys like Bichette or Robles in that way. That's no knock. Only few guys are talked about the way Ronald Acuna is talked about. But I just think that we're talking about more guys who are in that you know, Starling Marte, consistent third-round pick ceiling mold more than Ronald Acuna, first-round pick for years and years to come. Yeah, I mean, the first-round bar is is very high to clear. I think you're you're right to point that out. I think if they both are third-rounders next year and you're getting them in the fifth, you're very happy with, oh, with, with both of those picks, yes. potentially. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think it's maybe because I, I trust the speed a little more, too. I've been nudging Robles a little higher up than Bichette. I could see both of those guys catching you know, a round or even 20 picks worth of helium, though. Like If you're thinking about... NFBC main event leagues in March when players tend to get jumped up. I got one last question for you. We didn't script this one, but uh, let's talk about Bo Bichette versus his teammate, Vlad Jr., for a second. I mean, we know Vlad Jr. is not going to steal more than a handful of bases, but it's an 80-grade hit tool and potential 80-grade power. He goes consistently about 10 to 15 picks ahead of Bichette. But if you're looking at Guerrero versus Bo Bichette and the price is going to be equal, which side of that toss-up? are you on what do you think Chris um yeah that's a great question I think I think Bichette because I think he's gonna do a little bit more across the board I you know Vlad I love Vlad I think he's great he's gonna be arguably probably one of the better hitters in baseball you're talking about first round grade I mean this guy is probably gonna be a first round pick next year for sure um I and you know I was I think all three of us probably were on the same page when we were looking at last year with Rendon it's just between him and and Vlad but I don't know if he's ever going to be like a 40 home run guy or a 35 home run guy. I just, he sprays to all different parts of the park. Uh, he's been a ground ball hitter his, his whole minor league career. I, I know that he can, if he wants to, I mean, we saw it at the home run derby, this guy could have hit, you know, he could have stayed up at the plate and hit a hundred more home runs for sure. I just, I just don't see that in him yet. So I, I think Bichette just in terms of, I feel like he could get to the same around, 25 home run mark he's going to give you more stolen bases and I don't think the average will be all that off and you know if he's going to lead off the top of that lineup he's probably going to score more runs but you know Vlad is going to be the better hitter there's no question about that yeah this one if they're if they're even this is Vlad easy for me I mean meaning this guy when when they went on the road last year and they came south of the border he couldn't even go out to bars with his teammates Talking about a guy who turns 21 in in about a month here in the middle of March and a guy who has just all the potential in the world sometimes we need to i think in the fantasy world we don't do this enough sometimes we need to believe before we see when we uh have a good idea of what a player is eventually going to become so we have to lean on as much uh data as we actually have as much uh, as much as we can prove empirically we need to do that obviously that is the best route to victory and that is what is asked of us but sometimes dudes are just eventually going to break out before we actually see it. And if anyone's going to do that, I mean, Vlad has the profile to do that. You want to talk about a guy who's going to be a first-round fantasy pick two years from now, I think Vlad Guerrero 
Jr., of course, is the one who is going to be there. I mean, just all the potential in the world, and I think we start to see it in a real way this season. Shouldn't have been rubbing elbows with Anthony Rendon last year, but maybe he's rubbing elbows with Anthony Rendon next year because I think we see a big, big year out of Vlad Guerrero Jr. this season. Look out in Dunedin, by the way. Uh, Vlad Jr.'s 21st birthday is March 16th, so you <laughs> might find the young Jays uh, out out on the town that night uh, celebrating Vlad's 21st. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Beller on Twitter at mbeller. You can find Chris at Chris Meany. I am at Derek Van Riper. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, get 40% off at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. That draft kit is awesome and more great stuff is coming out here in the next few weeks. We've got articles, rankings, really everything you need to get ready for the 2020 season. Have a great weekend. The pod is back on Monday with myself and Matt Badika. Mm-hmm.